Um, this afternoon, I want to talk about transformation. You know, that's something that, that we all desire. There's none of us, um, at least I would assume, that is completely satisfied with where we are spiritually speaking. And that includes myself. You know, there's always more. There's always lots of room for growth there. I see myself and there's just um, so much weaknesses, so much area for growth in my, my own life. And, you know, we always wonder, how can I grow in Christ? How, how can I grow spiritually? How can I be better spiritually? And I think that's the question that we all struggle with. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and without further ado, let's so, um, open up your scriptures to Romans chapter 1. So let me, let's just start with the, the answer to the question. Um, rather than just beating around the bush and getting to the conclusion, let's get to the conclusion and then we'll work our way back up. Romans chapter 1. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament, right after Acts, right before 1 Corinthians. Um, first, um, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Why is he not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, God is a powerful God. And, you know, we think when we think about God's power, we think about miracles. We think about God being able to create the world and, and so many other things. But one of the, the ways that God manifests his power or God uses his power is to actually transform our lives, to, to make us a better Christian, to help us grow spiritually. And Paul is telling us, where does the power of God, or what is the power of God, rather? It's not his muscles. It's not his, his, I don't know, it's not his engine, so to speak. The power of God lies in what? It lies in the gospel. That's where he says the power of God lies. So in other words, if we want the power of God to transform our lives and to change our lives— what we need more of is the gospel, okay? because the gospel is what will change us. The gospel is the power that can transform us. So the question, I mean, there are several questions as we're reading this verse, but why would Paul say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? What is it in the gospel to be ashamed of in the first place for him to say, I am not ashamed so let's go to 1 Corinthians. You don't keep your you don't need to keep your bookmark in Romans. We're not going to be coming back to it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. It's the book right after Romans, so not too difficult to find. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. So what is it about the gospel that would make somebody embarrassed or ashamed of in the first place. So Romans, First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the what? 
It is the power of God. In Romans 1, it told us what is the power of God? The gospel is the power of God. But here it tells us what is the power of God? The message of the cross is the power of God that can transform us. And, and he says of the message of the cross that for some people in the world, what is it considered to be? It is considered to be foolishness. It's considered to be stupid. It's considered to be dumb. Why so? Verse 22. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. Okay, so that's the typical thing that Jews and Greeks were searching for in their culture. And last night we talked about signs. And so scribes and Pharisees, what do they ask Jesus for? They ask for a sign. And Jesus says, only a wicked and only an evil and wicked generation seeks for a sign. So the Jews are seeking for a sign and or, or miracles or the power of God to be manifest. And the Greeks are seeking for wisdom. So that's why the, the Greek philosophy prospered, right? Because they're seeking for wisdom. But verse 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. Why is the message of a cross a stumbling block for the Jews? We, we learned this morning, what is the cross considered to be? The cross is considered to be a curse of God in the Jewish culture. Because that's what Deuteronomy tells us, that if you're hanging on the cross, what happened to you? You're cursed by God. So here comes the Christians in the first century. They're going to the Jews and they're saying, we have found the Messiah. We have a new king in town. And guess what? He's crucified. And people are thinking, you're crazy. You're thinking that, that this person who's come to save us, he's the one that's cursed by God. And you're telling us he can save us? That's stupid. And for the Greeks, he says, the, the message of the cross is considered to be foolishness. Why? Because in, in Greek culture, in Roman culture, the cross was the worst punishment for the worst of the criminals. So again, you're going to the Greeks and you're going to the Romans and you're saying the savior of the world has come. And guess what? He has been crucified. And the people are thinking, you're crazy to follow a criminal who has been crucified on the cross. And you're telling me that he has the power to save me and to transform my life. That is stupid. But here comes Paul and says, this is what I am not ashamed about. I am proud of this gospel. And what does he say? Verse, verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of, of God, foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So he says that Christ being crucified is considered to be foolishness and a stumbling block for those who are out there, but for us, this is where the true wisdom of God lies. This is where the true power of God lies. If you want to be wiser, what do we need? We need the cross. We need the message of the cross. If you want to, to have more power in your life, Paul is telling us you need more of the message of the cross. Now, he takes this even further. Let's go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Verse 2, rather. Actually, let's do verse 1 and 2. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, 
declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, he talks about coming to, to the church of Corinth. And he says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with wisdom of speech or excellence of speech and wisdom. Now, before Paul came to Corinth to start a church there, he was actually in Greece. And it's in a city that all of you have heard of. Probably even the younger among you have heard of this city. Any city in Greece that you know of. It's the city of Athens. So we're not going to go there for sake of time. But if you go to Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Athens. And he preaches in Areopagus. And basically what he's doing, he's, he's going to the best of the school. He's going to the, the biggest of the, um, the, the, the best place of education. And what he's doing, he's teaching people. He's teaching these philosophers about Jesus. And in order to teach about, the, um, about Jesus, what he does is he uses Greek rhetoric, if you will. He uses the wisdom of speech. He also quotes the wisdom of the philosophers, Greek philosophers. And it's a good message. But do you read anywhere else in the Bible of the church in Athens? No. Yes, there were a couple people that were converted in Athens. But there was no church that was started in Athens. Everywhere Paul, Paul would go, he would start a church. He goes to, 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 to Thessalonica, he starts a church. He goes to Corinth, he starts a church. He goes to, to Philippi, he starts a church. But we don't hear of Paul starting a church in Athens. And I think the reason why is because he really didn't rely on the message of the cross so much. He relied on wisdom of rhetoric, wisdom of logic, the wisdom of worldly philosophy. And he was kind of trying to bring the best worlds together. And in doing so, yes, there were a couple of people that were converted and believed in Jesus, but it really didn't have the effect that it had in other cities. So now he comes from Athens and he comes to Corinth and he says, I've made up my mind. When, I, when I'm coming to you, I'm not going to be preaching with, with wisdom or excellence of speech. I'm not going to be coming to you with wisdom of philosophy. I'm coming to you with Jesus and him crucified. And I have made my mind to know nothing else because I have made my mind. I have decided and I have realized that that is where the power of God lies. Not in the wisdom of speech, not in being a good speaker, not in being an eloquent speaker, not in being a knowledgeable person. It is in knowing Jesus Christ and the message of the cross and focusing on that. So let's now talk about this gospel that has that is the power of God. Now, I would assume that each and every one of you believes in the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to, for a question, and I'm going to ask you to unmute to, to answer this question. What is the gospel? What is the content of the gospel? Yes, Anne, I, I see your mouth moving. So if you can unmute yourself and uh, give us your answer, please. Um, Jesus' is, Jesus is birth and okay. his life. 
okay. on the earth and then dying on the cross and the resurrection basically his whole life okay excellent so the yeah. entire life of jesus is the gospel anyone else what is the gospel what is the content of the gospel anyone we say we believe in the gospel but in order to believe something we know we need to know what it is what is the gospel And Lindsay, the good news that we need to share. Yeah. Sorry? The good news that we want to share with everybody around us. Okay, the good news that we want to share with everyone around us. Okay, I think I think that's correct. Uh, but what is the content of that good news? I'll take uh, one more person, maybe. What is the content of that good news? Salvation. Salvation, okay. Salvation. Uh, was that Bond? Okay, and Chloe says um, Jesus. Okay, all right, that's very good. Let's actually go to First Corinthians chapter fifteen because he's going to tell us what the gospel that he was preaching was. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. He says, "Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you." Okay, so he's going to say, yeah, "I'm going to summarize." What is the gospel that I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved. Okay. It's by the, it's by what the message of the gospel is that we are saved. If you hold fast that word, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay. Now he's going to give you the summary of his gospel for I delivered to you. First of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Number one, according to the scriptures. Number two, and that he was buried. Number three, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Number four, and that he was seen. By Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, and so on and so forth. And after that, he was seen by James. Um, then last of all, he was seen also by me as by one born out of due time. So let's recap. What is the content of the gospel? First of all, the content of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Secondly, what happened to Jesus? Jesus was buried. Thirdly, Jesus rose again. And fourthly, Jesus was seen in his new life. Okay. That's the summary of his gospel. Now, in other parts of, of the Bible, in Romans 2.16 and, and, um, and Revelation 4, 16, 6, uh, 14, 6, and 7, it, it adds to that the, the, the judgment. You know, Paul says that judgment is part of my gospel as well. That, that God judging us. So there are multiple parts to this gospel, but this is a summary of the content of this gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again in new life, and fourth of all, that he was seen by people in this new life. So what does that have to do with anything? That's the content of the gospel. So we're going to talk about three things concerning the, Bible, uh, the gospel. We're going to talk, look at the content of the gospel, which we just looked at, we're going to talk about the response to the gospel, and we're going to talk about the effect of the gospel, the content, the uh, response, 
and the effect of the gospel. So that we saw the it, we saw the content. Let's look at the effect of the gospel. Let's go to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter one. We do a lot of chapter ones today. First Thessalonians chapter one verse five. It says here, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, but let me give you a little background of this church. Paul was in Thessalonica only about three weeks. In that three weeks, he was able to start a church. I don't know about Pastor Timothy, but I don't think I have the ability to do that, to go to each um, to go to a, a city where there is no Christian presence and to be there for three weeks and start a church and leave. That's what he basically did. So there was a powerful ministry happening with Paul. And first of all, he was delivering the content of the gospel, but it was not only the content of the gospel that has the power. He says, I did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The power of the gospel that, that, that Paul was preaching was not just in the content. It was also in the fact that people were able to see the gospel being lived out by Paul and his companions. In those three weeks, as these, these, these new Christians were, were listening to the message of Paul, yes, the message was awesome, but not only that, they were, they were observing Paul and his companions, and they were seeing how the content of the gospel had transformed the lives of these people. They were seeing holy men. Why? Because... Paul and his companions not only believed in the content of the gospel, they participated in the gospel. What do I mean by that? They participated in the gospel. Let's see what that means. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Okay, it says here, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What was the content of the gospel? Can somebody remind me, what was the content of the gospel that, that Paul talked about? Anybody? Chloe, unmute yourself and tell me what were the content of the gospel. Uh, Jesus died, he was buried, and then he was raised, and... He was okay, so that, that's the four main points that, that Paul talks about. Do you see those points here? When you die in Christ, not only that, you should 
also joined Jesus in his death and his burial in baptism. And once we do that, we join in the resurrection of Christ in newness of life. And let's keep reading. Verse um, 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So you see all four elements. He says we should die with Jesus. We should completely surrender our life and join in the death of Jesus. And by doing so, we also should join in the burial of Jesus by being baptized. And not only that, we also should rise to newness of life with Jesus and be presented or be seen in newness of life. The transformation of our lives need, needs to be evident in our lives. That's what he's saying. And the way that that can happen is by constantly being reminded of the content of the gospel and constantly making the decision to join in this gospel by dying with Jesus, by being buried, by, and by, by burying our old self with Jesus, by, by raising to new life with Jesus and presenting our life to others and to God and joining with Jesus and being seen in this newness of life. And here's what we have to do. We have to saturate our minds with the gospel in order for transformation to happen. It's not that when you're getting baptized, you, you raise your right hand and say, I agree with the gospel. That's not enough. Our mind has to be completely saturated with the content and the power and joining in the gospel. And we also should be giving that to the next generation. We have to fill our kids' minds with the power and the content and the participation of the gospel. We have to coach them in that manner. And I don't think that, that I do that, that well enough. But, but let me just, just try to make this as, as practical as possible. Every morning, I, I take my child to school. Um, I have a a girl who's six years old, and um, she's in first grade. And um, um, I'm blessed enough to spend 20 minutes um, every morning going to school with her. And I spend those 20 minutes just, 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 just sharing the sharing Bible stories with her every morning. Just, just, I just give her a Bible story, and and she's excited every morning that that she she can go to school with Daddy and hear Bible stories. And I think I should be able to take this even further. And, and I try to do it, but I'm, I don't think I'm really so successful. But what we need to do with our children is when we're talking with them, when they come with problems or the things that they're doing at school or in their interaction with, with, with their friends, you know, they, they're, they're talking about their lives. We have to coach them to, and talk about those situations from a gospel standpoint. When we're dealing with those situations, how can we help them to see those situations from the standpoint or the perspective of the gospel? We have to be constantly training them because why? That's where the power of God lies. If we want our children's lives to be transformed, 
It's not in the eloquence of speech. It's not in the wisdom of this world. It's not by sending them to the best schools. It's by 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 saturating their minds with Jesus Christ, with the message of the cross, with the contents of the gospel, with the power of the gospel, and with participation of the gospel. And that's why Deuteronomy says, you know, when, when they're lying down, teach them to do that. You know, when, when they're standing up, when they're walking, whatever you're doing, saturate their minds with the power of the gospel. That's where power lies. And that's why I said earlier this morning that if we want transformation every day, not a single day should go by without thinking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because there are many parts to the content of the gospel, but in the very center of that gospel lies the cross of Jesus Christ. Our minds need to be saturated with it. Now, I would think that that most of you kind of accept what I've said thus far, but I want to take this further. So we talked about the content of the gospel, and we talked about the response to the gospel. Now, thirdly, what was the third thing I was going to talk about? Does anyone remember the what of the gospel? Starts with the E, the effect of the gospel. Let's talk about the effect of the gospel. Now, when, especially, you know, the four gospels talk about uh, the four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially Matthew, for that sake. When they talk about the gospel, it very often refers to the gospel as the gospel of, does anyone know? Effect, conversion. Okay, conversion, right. But but Matthew refers, um, especially, he refers to the gospel as the gospel of this kingdom, of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, up to this point, you know, there's really no offense in what I've said. Now, I'm going to, to, you know, kind of stir up your, your, your pure minds here. And I, I'm going to probably offend everyone. Um, now, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? Now, now, let's look at a few verses. Let's go to God, um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Okay? Matthew 4, 17. And by the way, you know, even... During my, my sermon, if there's anything unclear, I want to clarify. So stop me and, and, and ask me to clarify. Okay. So Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for what is at hand? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's at hand? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the what? of the kingdom. Okay. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Let's go to Luke now. Skip two books. Go to Luke chapter 1, and it talks about the announcement of Jesus' birth. So um, Gabriel appears to Mary, and he tells Mary that Jesus is going to be born. And this is what he says to her. Verse um, thirty. Two, it says he, referring to Jesus, Jesus will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will 
reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Let's look at the last chapter, not the last chapter, second to last chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 23. I'll spend maybe about uh, 15 more minutes. So uh, hang with me for a moment. Um, Luke chapter 23, verse 38. Now Jesus is dying on the cross. And what is written on his, um, on the top of his cross? Let's start from verse 36. The soldiers also mocked Jesus coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek. Latin and Hebrew, this is the what of the Jews? This is the king of the Jews. Do you see a common theme or common thread here in what I've been reading? Anyone? It's pretty obvious, but Inzan, what's the common thread or theme here? If you can unmute yourself. King or kingdom. Okay, king or kingdom. Now, is king a religious term or a political term? Political. Political. Now, I'm going to stir up your your pure minds here. The problem with our our gospel today is that our gospel has not been political enough. Let me, and let me clarify. I'm going to stir up your your pure minds. And I, I think at the very end, you're going to agree with me. I hope you agree with me. Now, the word gospel itself is actually a political term. The, the word gospel itself is a political term. How do we know? I'm going to, sh- um, let me share my screen. Um, Pastor Tim, could you, oh, uh, I'm already allowed to do that. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to read you an inscription for, from the first century. And um, um, it, it, it's, a, it's an inscription that was written celebrating the birthday of Caesar Augustus. Okay, and this is what it says. Since providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him, Augustus, as a what? As a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar Augustus, by his appearance, excelled even um, our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since, by, by the way, this is a very long sentence and this is a terrible sentence, but this is what they wrote on the inscription. And since the birthday of the God, Augustus Caesar, was the beginning of the what? of the gospel or the go- the good news for the world that came by reason of him. What is Augustus referred to as here? He's referred to as God. He's referred to as Savior. And the coming of Augustus is, is considered to be the what? The gospel. So in Luke chapter 2, when the angels appear, uh, appear to the, to the, um, to the, um, um, what is it? Um, shepherds. Thank you. Um, when, when the angel appears to the shepherds and, and they, 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 they say, um, I bring, we bring you good tidings. 
That's the word for the gospel. It's the same word. We bring you good tidings that the Savior is born. What the the angels are doing, they are saying there is a new political leader in town. Jesus is about to build a kingdom that is not of this world. And by the way, in this kingdom, you can't have dual citizenship. You just can't. When Jesus proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, what he's saying is, I have, I am just, I'm coming into this world and I am building up a new political system that is called the kingdom of heaven. And I am the leader of that political realm. Either you choose the political realm of this world or you choose the political realm of heaven. You can't have it both ways. The reason that that I'm talking about the effect of the gospel is that everything these days is politicalized, uh, politicized. Health is politicized. Life is politicized. And we make, you know, we, we form our opinions based on what political parties we align ourselves with. Either you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, and most of your opinions align with one party or the other. But I've got news for you. The political party that we should be belonging to is not the Republican Party. It's not the Democratic Party. The kingdom that we should be belonging to is not the United States of America. It's not Korea. It's not Romania. It's the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And verse, um, start from verse uh, 4. Paul says here, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks um, he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. You know, if, if, if there's anybody in the world that can be proud, that's me. From a human perspective, if anyone, um, I was circumcised the the eighth day. I am of the stock of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law. I was a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law. I was blameless. But verse eight, verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So he says he lists all the credentials that he has. He lists his CV, his resume. And he says, "Okay, I just put that in, in the trash. I consider those things to be rubbish in order to gain Christ. And one of the things that he lists is that I used to be a Pharisee. We think of Phariseeism as a religious sect, which it was, but it also was a political party. Paul says, in becoming a Christian, I lay aside my political party behind me. Why? Because verse 20. He says, because our citizenship is not in Israel, 
It's not in the United States of America. It's not in Korea. It's not in Romania. It's not in Japan or wherever you're from. He says, my citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, I leave my political party behind me. Because the political party, the, the, the kingdom that I am a part of is the kingdom of heaven. My political leader is not Joe Biden or Donald Trump. My political leader is Jesus Christ. My political party is not the Republican Party. It's not the Democratic Party. I'm actually a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Party of politics. You know, there was a, you know, I have a member who's, who's not very happy with me um, in my, uh, in not joining this member's uh, political leanings. And um, this, this member wanted me to be more vocal about political issues. So, and, and we were texting back and forth. So I told him, brother, I do have a political view. My political view is that Jesus is my king, that the kingdom of heaven is, is, my, is my nation. My constitution is the Ten Commandments. My political party is the Seventh-day Adventist, Adventist party. And, and my flag is Jehovah Nisi, which means Jesus, God is my flag. That should be our political view. We view, in these days, we view everything from a political standpoint. Almost everything. Now what we need to do is we need to take the content of the gospel and we need to replace our lens of seeing the world with what, whether you're wearing a Republican lens or a Democratic lens or USA lens or a Korean lens or anti-whatever lens or whatever lens you're wearing or an NRA lens or, or a, I don't know, uh, whatever lens you're wearing. Jesus says, now let's replace that lens. I'm coming to you with a new gospel. I'm coming to you with a new, new kingdom. Let's view this world from this lens from now on. Let's, when Jesus was calling his disciples, he had people from all over the spectrum. What was Matthew's job before being a disciple? He was a tax collector. What about Simon? What was, his, what was Simon's political leaning? He was a zealot. Basically, a tax collector and a zealot are the opposite end of the extreme when it comes to the political leanings. It's, all, it's far right and far left, extreme right and extreme left. But when they joined the movement, movement of Jesus Christ, when they joined the kingdom of Christ, they left those things behind for the kingdom of God. Now, as I wrap up, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, this is the... This is the chapter that, that you've all been studying thus far. And um, since you've been studying it, let's wrap up with this. Let's start with Matthew 4.23. Matthew 4.23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
And starting in 5 verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. He goes up on a high place. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And he starts preaching the greatest sermon that was ever preached. But not only was it the greatest sermon that was ever preached, this is a political message of the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you want to be a citizen of this kingdom, this is how you should be living. This is a political manifesto manifesto of Jesus. This is how we live as citizens of heaven. Let's lay everything behind us, whatever political view or whatever worldly view or whatever social views that that affect us. Let's leave that behind and let's have the gospel. Let's saturate our minds with the gospel. Let's have the the gospel transform our hearts. Let's let's participate in the gospel by dying with Jesus, choosing to die with Jesus and choosing to bury our old self with Jesus, choosing to be newly alive with with Jesus and choosing to be presented in in new righteousness and in this this new new character that, that Christ gives us with. And let's teach our children to do so as well. Let's saturate our minds, our kids' mind with the gospel. So that everything we see, we see with the filter of the gospel. We make decisions based on principles of the gospel. We we make, you know, we form our opinions based on the principles of the gospel. And let's lay the things of this world behind. Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, that my kingdom is not of this world. Let's not be too bogged down with this world. Let's fill our minds with the gospel. It is the power of God.